All right, we're going to try to get started here. If you want to come in and find a seat, find your donut, find your coffee, find whatever. All right, so we are continuing our discussion of questions in the Gospels, which oftentimes just looks like a study in a certain passage where there happen to be some questions. Um, so, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Um, but this week we will be, it'll primarily be John chapter 8, 1 through 11. Um, it kind of starts at that last little verse at the end of chapter 7, so we'll start there. But um, so this week it'll be uh, we'll be talking about the woman caught in adultery. Um, so let me pray and then I'll read and we'll get going. Lord Jesus, we thank you once again for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in your word. Um, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us. Um, and Lord, we just. As we come to your word this morning, just ask that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to see what you would tell us. I pray that you would um, use me or that you would speak in spite of me, um, whatever that looks like. Uh, just pray that whatever takes place here this morning would be to your glory and for um, our benefit of walking closer with you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So chapter 7, verse 53 Everyone went to his home, and then chapter 8, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. All right, the Bramers have moved into the spit zone here. I can't promise anything. I'll, I'll do my best. But <laughs> um, So the first question is, when you, when you read this, you're probably going to notice that it's in brackets. So the first question is this, passage supposed to be in my Bible. Um, I think so, otherwise we wouldn't be studying it, right? Um, apparently most biblical scholars feel that it should be in their Bible. It, there's some question as to where exactly they would put it, but um, yes, they, they agree that it should be here. Um, it does seem clear that it was added later, but um, it certainly uh, represents what we, what we know of Jesus. Um, so this is, it's typical of what we see in him as he interacts with people. So, um, let me set the stage a little bit. We skipped over chapter seven. So in chapter seven, 
Jesus went to the Feast of Booths. He was teaching and interacting with people in, in the temple. Um, as, as is typical of him, he caused quite a stir. Um, many were impressed and believed in him, um, and others seemed confused by what they conceived to be um, inconsistencies in his origins. So they were like, well, you know, isn't he from Galilee? The, you know, the, the Christ is supposed to come from, um, from Bethlehem, and so they obviously didn't know that's where he was born, and so there was all this confusion. Um, and then, of course, the chief priests and the Pharisees um, were trying to capture or kill him. And um, at the end of chapter 7, this, it ends with a discussion or an argument between the Pharisees um, and chief priests and um, the, uh, some officers who they had sent to go arrest Jesus. And they come back and go... They're like, where is he? And they go, nobody's ever talked like this before. And then they start, you know, arguing with these guys. Um, and so that's how it kind of ends. And then we have this statement, everyone went to his home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So these are two short verses that are easily glossed over, and which is what I typically have done when I've read it. And that's what I initially did. And then I was looking at it going, they're there. Let's not, let's not just pass over them. Um, and so let me just ask you, what does home mean to you? Where I live? Your hometown. What else? Heavenly abode. Heavenly abode, okay. Where your heart is. Where your heart is. <laughs> Where you grew up. Where you grew up, okay. Safe place, comfort, some of us more literally than others. <laughs> you know, we, home tends to evoke some emotions. Um, you know, sometimes when you think of home, for you, some of these students that are here, you know, home is like, well, I'm not home right now, I can tell you that, you know. Um, home may be those, you know, thoughts of Christmas morning, or it may be just, you know, sometimes smells will evoke you know, feelings of home and those kind of things. Um, so Jesus and his disciples were primarily from Galilee. And so being in Jerusalem, they were certainly not home, right? They're, they've gone to this feast. They're there. Um, and uh, so they're, they're, not, they're not home. Uh, there's a feast going on. There's the Feast of Booths, which means what, what does Jerusalem look like? What's that? Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people that don't normally live there, right? A lot of people come in to town for this Feast of Booths. At the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus, it starts with Jesus' brothers asking him, are you going to go up to the Feast of Booths? And, and they were obviously going, and Jesus said, I'm not going right now. Then eventually he did go. But clearly there's a, there's a gathering in, in Jerusalem. There's a lot of people there. Um, it was busting with people, we would assume. Um, where would we assume people would have been lodging? <laughs> What's that? Wherever they can find the spot, right? Meaning, Israel? Yeah. 
Gotcha. Yeah. I forgot about that part of it. Now, I think the feast is over at this point, and so people are probably starting to go back into their homes. If you're, if you're from out of town and you have family, where are you going to be staying? Probably with family, right? Um, people who live there are going to be used to the fact that at certain times of year, family comes into town and you got to make room, and that's just what you do. Um, there are probably, there's probably some kind of public lodging, you know, sort of, um, not what we're used to, not, there's not a Holiday Inn on the corner and that type of thing, but um, there's probably some of that. But, um, uh, but probably the indications are not that Jesus was staying with family um, or that his disciples were. Um, they probably weren't staying in a, an inn or something like that. Um, and part of the reason for that would be money. You know, they didn't have a lot. They weren't, they weren't rich guys. You know, they're fishermen, and then, you know, Jesus is um, a man kind of without a job. Yeah? Uh, we know from the other Gospels that some of the disciples actually had second homes, second place to stay. Gotcha. I wasn't aware of that. And Judas was dipping. What's that? And Judas was dipping. Yeah, Judas was dipping. We know that. Um, but he, he would have had to keep a low profile, on you know, so he probably wasn't going and, and well, I'm going to stay the night at this place and you guys can go, you know, hang out, whatever. Um, but anyway, so just thinking about it, do any of the Gospels ever speak of Jesus' home? Of Jesus going home? They really don't. Heather? They talk about Peter having a house and having a wife and probably had kids, we assume. And we talk about, it, it, it talks about Jesus being in Peter's home and you know, healing his mother-in-law and that kind of thing. So some of, it's not to say that his disciples didn't, but um, everyone went to his home, but not Jesus. Where did he go? What's it say? The Mount of Olives. He went to the Mount of Olives. Um, so what is my point here? You've been wondering that, haven't you? My point is only that Jesus gave up more than we t typically think about in order to redeem us. Yes, we think about the beatings. We think about the crown of thorns. We think about the nails, um, the agony of the cross. But do we think about what he gave up daily? It doesn't ever indicate, there's never any, any indication that he went to Mary's house. There was never, there's never anything in the gospel that says anything about it. It's not to say that he never did, but it didn't ever seem to be his focus. So, you know, when you look at it, he seems like he's a homeless guy. You know, he's, he's traveling around and he's trusting to, that there will be a place to sleep that night, whether it's on the ground in, in the garden or, you know, I don't know. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Has no place to lay his head. Yeah. And? Yeah. Yeah. 
Is there any significance to that? You know, I think, I think that, that it just indicates what he gave up in order to, to be here to redeem us. Um, yeah, he gave up everything. And that's why when he, you know, when somebody says, I'll follow you anywhere, you know, that's, that's where that verse comes from. And somebody says, you know, let me, let me go, you know, bury my father, all these kind of things. He's like, it takes a full-on commitment, which he demonstrated. He demonstrated giving up everything. The God of the universe came to earth to redeem us, and he didn't even have a bed to consistently lay down in. He had no familiar safe haven he could escape to. He had nowhere to keep all of his accumulated possessions because he didn't have any. Um, he was homeless on this earth because this earth was not his home, as you stated. Home is heaven. Home is not here. It's a good reminder for me when I get used to having my place with all my stuff. I am and I, am and I was redeemed by a homeless man. So not only did he go to the Mount of Olives and presumably slept on the cold, hard ground, but, but then what did he do? Next verse, he got up early to do what? To go to the temple, to give the people what they needed, to teach them, to clarify what they didn't see clearly, and to correct the incorrect teachings of their spiritual leaders. Um, do we know how long he'd been teaching when the scribes and Pharisees brought this woman in? No, we don't. What's their purpose in bringing, him, bringing her? They're trying to trap him. It's very clear, right? It, it actually says it. But what is it supposed to look like? Right. Yeah. It's not supposed to look like a setup. They're trying to make it, you know... Um, it, it's supposed to look as if, to their shock and surprise, they found this woman um, caught in the act of adultery, and they just happened to see Jesus as they're on their way to deal with it and thought, oh, we should ask Jesus what he thinks about this woman. That's, that's kind of what it's supposed to look like. One way or another, they're trying to trap him. Um, how did they assume this trap would work? In what way? How, how, you know, it's, a, it's, it's supposed to be a catch-22, so what are the options for him, for him, according to their way of thinking? Yeah, either go against the law or follow the law. Well, what if he follows the law and says, yes, she needs to be put to death? How's that bad for him? He didn't come to kill, he came to give life. He came to give life, and, he, and, and he's a friend to sinners, so if he, if he follows the law and does what, according to them, he should be doing, then he looks like not the guy he's been portraying himself to be. Hey, yeah? Was stoning legal under Roman? I mean, could they have killed her? Could they have... Well, they did, with, they did with Philip. That's true. I mean... And they didn't get in trouble. But, because, I'm, I mean, did the government have to say that they crucified Jesus? Right, right. right. So there's certain things that they kind of got away with and certain things that they didn't. And I think the Romans, if they were going to kill each other, it probably didn't bother them that much, you know, as long as it wasn't an uprising and it wasn't a big to-do. Um, 
you know, if you want to kill each other off, it kind of makes things a little easier for us. Um, there may have been some of that. That was my next question. Is there anything missing from this picture? Where's the dude, right? Where's the guy? Um, is that significant? Yes, it is. Um, Leviticus 20, verse 10 says, If there's a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. If that wasn't enough, in Deuteronomy as well, if a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, thus she shall purge the evil from Israel. Does it seem a little fishy that the man isn't here? Why do you suppose he's not here? If it's a setup, then either he conveniently escapes or he jumps out the window or what, we don't know. But anyway... If it's whole, the whole thing is set up, it's, it's possible that uh, what they meant by catching her was based on a lot of supposition, and it's also possible they decided to lie about her. Those are possibilities as well. They said they caught her in the act, so maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Um, but let's get back to the attempted trap. Um, they actually do a pretty good job of it. This woman's caught in the very act of adultery. They've, I'm sure they've got more than one witness that, that will say this is what happened. Again, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Moses commanded in the law to stone such a woman. What do you say? So what do we see wrong with what they've said? Were they treating the scripture accurately? No. Not entirely. Halfway. Yeah, they're halfway there, right? Um, Yeah, does the law say if you find one, but one gets away, then you put to death whoever's left? No, not necessarily. They assume this is going to work because they think they've given him no way out. They believe they've considered all the possible scenarios, and there's no possible answer he can give that won't get him in, the, in hot water with someone. So what did Jesus say? Nothing. He didn't say anything. He just leaned down and wrote in the dust. You know what he wrote? Eat more chicken. No, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't a, wasn't a Chick-fil-A advertisement. Nobody knows. Apparently, we don't need to know what he wrote. Sorry, my Babylon B mind jump kicked in there. How else could he, could he have reacted? What could he have said or, or asked? Would it have been appropriate to say, where is the man? Yeah. Um, he could have said, you're, inaccurate, inaccurately, you're inaccurate in your quoting of Scripture. Could have said that. He could have gotten in an argue with them, argument with them, which is usually what we typically default to, Right? We argue or we acquiesce, one or the other. We either engage in this back and forth trying to, trying to win this argument or we back off and we cave in and kind of sulk away. We either strap on our armor or we, or we backpedal. 
one of those two. Does Jesus back off? No. Does he cave in? Does he go into full battle mode? No. What's he do? He makes them wait. Actually, kind of just ignores them and writes on the ground. Why, do, why would he do that? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, I wonder if maybe, Heather. Maybe it'll let them, their consciences work a little. Maybe it'll just let them squirm a bit. Yeah. Sometimes it's harder to just sit there. And, you know, if you're doing something wrong. Right. You know, it's, like, uh, it's hard to stand there in the silence. Yeah. Right? Lugie? Yeah, I, I think some of this is like they, they've built this up in their mind. Right? It's going to be this one-two punch, and they've got this, this social fantasy of how great they're going to look. Right. But then instead he responds with dead air. Right. And the longer that lasts, the more they're uncomfortable. They're like, this is supposed to have the result that we expect. This is not going like we thought. We're in charge, and you can't just stand there and be quiet. Like, right. Cool. That's not how it works. Right. That's not the way the game is played. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, you ever had those conversations in your mind with a friend who you're going to tell about Jesus, or you're going to tell them how they screwed up, or whatever it is, and you play this over and over and over in your mind. And then you actually have a conversation with them. It goes absolutely nothing at all like what you had that conversation in your head, which you would expect. Um, but, you, you know, you had this perfect, this perfect scenario playing out in your head. And I think it was kind of like that for them. Oh, yeah, this is, this is it. We got him this time. Um, but I do wonder if the, he's giving them a chance to, to exit the battlefield somewhat gracefully. Alina? Right, right. It could be a lot of things he was writing. It could be the, the sins that they, you know, any number of things. Who knows? Um, but we don't know. Um, so do you tend to make your best judgment calls on the spur of the moment? <laughs> Does a little time, a little reflection, a little distance typically help you make a better call? Sometimes. Uh, did Jesus want to show these know-it-alls a thing or two? Was he really looking forward to roasting these guys? I don't think so. You know, was he praying that morning, Lord, I, Father, I just really want to, you know, roast, roast some Pharisees today. Um, no, he wasn't. What do you think, where do you think his focus was? On his father? Where else? On what they needed. Okay, on what they needed. And what she needed. What she needed. I think he was filled with compassion for this woman. He sees what's going on. He knows their purpose and what they're doing. And he knows that she's just a pawn in what they're doing. She, he knows that, yes, if this is true, what she's been do, dealing with, you know, what she's doing... He knows that that's, you know, he understands that as well. Well, he knew the circumstances to begin with. Right. He knows what's, he knows what's going on. The Spirit's revealed whatever he needs to know. Um, but, you know, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of focus for him on her and what's going on with her. Um, and uh, I could use my sanctified imagination to make some guesses as to what's going on with her, but I, I won't do that. Um, I'd probably be wrong. Uh, 
my wife said, yeah. Um, but can we guess at some of what she was feeling and what she was dealing with as she was standing before this crowd being possibly correctly abused, accused? What? Scared, yeah. What else? Humiliated, big time. Shame, hurt, betrayal, feeling used. Whether the, whether the accusations are correct or not, she's being used. There's no doubt. What's that? Remorseful. Remorseful. These leaders were ready to stone her to death in cold blood. What was Jesus ready to do? Forgive her. His heart broke for this woman who was being used by this man, all for the purpose of trying to trap him. They really, really wanted to stone Jesus. But if it meant stoning her first or at the same time, that would be fine with them. Whatever it takes to get to him. That seems like a lot of hatred toward Jesus. But also, yeah. Did I hear somebody? Oh, sorry. I thought I heard somebody. Um, they were so consumed with themselves and keeping their power that they were willing to destroy anyone they saw as lower than they were in order to preserve what they had. The leaders ask him, what should we do with her? He says nothing, just kneels down and writes in the dirt. But they persist and demand an answer from him. So what is his answer? Yeah, whoever's without sin, go ahead, grab a, grab a rock. What's the basis of his answer? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul was, uh, in, uh, in that verse, in the passage where Paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he's, he references um, Psalm 14, quotes it. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There, was no, there is no one who does good, not even one. And then in Romans, Romans 3, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And then verse 30, uh, Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. No one is righteous, Right? Correct. Except in this situation, there is one who's righteous. There is one without sin. There is one who could claim the right to throw the first stone. There's one person here who has the right. Only one. When he says the person without sin has a right to pick up a stone and throw it at her. 
but he's the only one who has that right, and he doesn't do it. Why not? It's not why he came. Yeah, he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. He came to redeem us. So rather than stooping down for a stone, he stooped down once more, wrote something on the ground, which, again, we don't apparently need to know. And what happened to those who were standing around? Start walking away. Why did the oldest leave first? They got more stuff built up, for one thing. Yeah? Um, some of you who are on the uh, grayer side in here. <laughs> As you have aged, have you felt more or le less self-righteous? Do you recognize yourself as a, the, sin, the sin in you more as you're older or when you're younger? Yeah, I think, I think we do recognize it more. Um, do you feel more or less inclined to give grace to others? Hopefully we're more so. Um, so after they've all gone, starting with the oldest first, uh, Jesus looks up to find only the woman standing there alone, and he says, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Her answer, no one, Lord. And he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. It's a pretty tender scene right there. But let me ask you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about him letting her off the hook? Yeah. Exactly. But there, I think there is some tension in the fact that the law said this. Right. Right? And, you know, but he was, is he just saying the law isn't a big deal anymore? Right. You know, you don't have to pay for sin? But I think that's what it is. He was going to, he, he knew he was paying for that sin. Right. Exactly. But he already established something more significant beforehand where he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Right. And so he's, and that's not something that it's not really called out in here, but he's already established the fact that he has shown he can forgive sin. Right. And he is not at that point throwing away the law and canceling it. Right. But it, it gives evidence of his identity and his right. Yeah. Yeah. I see a hand back. No. Karen, is that you? Yeah. Right. Yes. Alina? Uh, you talked about the parentheses earlier, mm -hmm. and I was reading a commentary recently saying that they, the original, you know, when they were putting the Bible together, they were like, whoa, this is, you know, she gets off too easy. Maybe right. She shouldn't put it in there. Right. Sort of yeah, yeah, and, and that's, that's where our hearts often tend to go. Gwen? I'm wondering if all her accusers were gone, why was she still there? Right. Right. Why not make a run for it? Right. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. She recognizes she's caught. She recognizes she's guilty. 
whether it's, you know, whether this is the situation or not, she recognizes, I think she looks at Jesus and recognizes, this guy has a right to condemn me. He's just, and the justifier, he can, he can do that. Karen? Yeah, could be. Yeah. Right. Who knows? Well, it's pretty clear that law came because of transgression. Right. And so previous to the deed, of course, was previous to. Yeah, yeah. The, the law came because of transgressions. Yeah. I, I felt that it, basically what he was really trying to get away in the messaging is just uh, repent. And she, he knew her heart. Yeah. And she had a repentant heart. So yeah. Yeah. Porter, were you? You asked the question, well, how do you feel about that? <laughs> My self-righteousness says, yeah, you ought to condemn her. Right. But, you know, I'm so glad you did. Right, right. I mean, the, there, there is that part of us that says, you know, condemn the sinner. Yeah. Until we start going, wait a second. Yeah, I'm the sinner, right? <laughs> Lugie? Yeah. That says that was not what, in their, what was in their heart, but that is how he used it. Right. I yeah. It's a beautiful picture. Of yeah. Does she? They're, they're coming before judgment. Right. She waits. Does she know what's coming? No. Not for sure. Well, and he does say, like, neither do I condemn you. And then he follows that with, from now on, sin no more. Yeah. So it's not as though he's justifying Just, the sin and saying that the sin is okay. It's right. Like, Yeah. And in a sense, they trap themselves. Right. Because their guilt is rising up and they're recognizing it. And yeah. Yeah. It's also one of the few times where they're confronting Jesus and they have a appropriate response. Mm. Yes. Even though he turned it around on them in a way they didn't expect, their response to leave when, when presented with it is the right one. Yeah. Yeah, we don't see that. Hardly at all. There's times when they get shut down, and this is kind of one of those times when they seem to recognize, oh, right. Um, yeah, it, it's powerful. Yeah. Yes, and, and it's one of those interesting you know, questions of, we knew anyone in history had the opportunity to know that Jesus was coming because at the garden when they fell, that God promises, I'm going to deal with this. And, and so what exactly it looked like, they didn't know, but they knew God was a redeemer. They knew he was going to deal with it. And so, yes, those in the Old Testament had faith that Jesus was coming, and so that was what saved them. So looking forward to 
this Messiah who's coming, because God is a redeemer, that's what, that's what their hope was in. So she had that opportunity. The Pharisees had that opportunity to trust in the fact that God is a redeemer, and he's going to deal with sin. He said he's going to deal with sin. So our hope is not in what you know, we see in front of us, but what, but what God has promised. All right, we're going to move on if I can figure out where I am. Um, so yeah, sometimes we want him, we, we, our sinful side wants him to blast her, you know, at least not let her off quite so easily. At least, you know, dress her down some, get, you know, read her the riot act, you know, okay, now this is what you did and you shouldn't have done that. And, you know, we want at least that, right, Porter? He dealt gently with women. He did. Right. I think he dealt, he dealt gently with the humble. And, and so, many of the, so many of the Pharisees, the leaders, the priests, so many of them came, and came to him in their arrogance, in their pride. And he dealt gently with the humble. Um, Yeah, they did not have status. And, uh, and he was giving that to them. Right. He was making them worth something. Yeah. Where to the men they were. Right. They were just property. They were, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so last week I said we dare not be dismissive when the Lord is harsh. The flip side is true. We dare not be harsh when the Lord is showing compassion. Um, the truth is we tend to give ourselves more grace than we do others. We appreciate the grace um, when we get much more than, and um, let, me, let me start over. We appreciate the grace we get much more than we appreciate the grace shown to others. Our hearts can be ugly. Um, yeah, I think she recognized that, that he was the one who could, who could deal with, who had the right to condemn her, but also... Um, that he wasn't going to redeem, re condemn her. Um, Could she have known the woman from the well? It's possible. Where she, where I, the, where she was, I mean, something about that would be surprising because the woman from the well, uh, the woman at the well, was a Samaritan. So that would be yeah. really unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let me let me wrap this up. Let me ask a few questions and. We can talk some more. Um, how do you see Jesus? What is your picture of him? We tend to be on one side of the pendulum or the other. Sometimes people see him, they see God as um, angry with their sin and always disappointed. Whenever I fail, he's just, he's just upset and I don't blame him. I'm such a failure, blah, 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 right? Um, Others see him as not really caring that much about what they do because he's covered it all when he died, so it doesn't really matter that much. Um, he's either so full of judgment that they never see the grace or so full of grace that they forget that he actually does, does care about sin. And as usual, the, the truth is somewhere in the middle, I think. I believe Jesus cares about our sin, not because of how it affects him, but how it affects us. 
He says, go and sin no more, not because he's afraid of us piling another sin on him, but because he knows the best thing for us, the way to remain close to him, the way to live out or live in the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, is as we remain in him, which we cannot do when we are continuing in our sin. What links are you willing to go in order to keep, to preserve what you have? Whether that means your stuff, your possessions, your position in society, your position in a company, in your family, that type of thing. Could mean protecting your good name. Could even mean protecting your doctrine, the way you understand the Bible and Christianity, that sacred, what sacred cows are you hiding in your spiritual closet that you don't want anyone touching? What links are you willing to go to in order to keep what you have? And how do you, re- how do you react when Jesus doesn't answer your questions the way you want and expect? And then finally, are you inclined to give yourself more grace than others? Are you quick to judge and expect condemnation for other people's shortcomings while being quick to give yourself grace and find excuses for your own sins? I know that defines me way too often, especially when I'm driving. (laughs) All right, that's what I've got. Any other thoughts, questions? Yes, ma'am. Right. You're actually, you go above that and you address the heart issue or you yeah. address specifically your own purpose in the situation. I didn't ask you to fight over the toys, I asked you to clean them up. Right. You know, like you address that relationship instead. And when we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, he, they ask him for bread and he says, I am the bread of life. And then when we look at the adulterous woman, they say, will you please condemn her sinfully and stone her? Right. Yeah. It reminds me of that verse that it says that he set his face like flint. Mm. And you can see that in each of the circumstances where he has these interactions of he is absolutely on this redeeming trajectory and he's not going to be distracted by any kind of temporal concern. He's going to stay on that path of redemption yeah. and, and take their physical and bring it to a higher spiritual plane. Yeah, which, which tells us that Typically, when we start, when I'm when I'm trying to think about these things, if I'm not, if I'm not in the Word, if I'm not listening to the Lord, I'm going to ask the wrong questions. I'm going to be running down the wrong roads because that's what we see time and time again: was people coming to Jesus, asking the wrong questions, saying the wrong things, and and He's constantly, you know, they're they're asking over here, and He's constantly having to let me shift shift the, the direction here because, you know, you're, I, I know what you're trying to get at, but you're trying to go over here when you should be, yeah, Lugie. And I think that also, like that determination of his to redeem us, that also addresses kind of the question of like, hey, he hasn't actually died yet. Is he even allowed to forgive her? Right. Because it's not complete yet. But the point is that the, the inevitability and that determination, it's, it's because of who he is as yeah. God. And it's true that he became man. Mm-hmm. And so there's this argument of 
like, well, didn't he become fallible when right. he became man? And the answer is, he doesn't cease to be God. He doesn't right. become less trustworthy right. as Jesus the man. And yeah. that's where the, the promises of a someday Messiah span everything because he is eternal as well. It's yeah. forward and backward. Yeah. Alina? I, I think we forget also that he loved the Pharisees too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Right. Do you want to be stoned? I mean, he loved them. He wanted them to repent just as much as he wanted everybody else. Yeah, great point. Yeah. Yeah, we, and we saw again at the end of chapter 7 where the Pharisees are arguing and, and Nicodemus goes, well, the law says we don't condemn a man. You know, he, he's kind of, we can see, and of course we see that he's one of the ones who buried Jesus, you know, dealt with, took care of Jesus' body, so we know that he was in the, going in the right direction. So a Pharisee, yes, you know, Jesus is, is not particular about class or, you know, position. He's like, yes, I, I, I care about everyone in this situation. Yeah. Were you... Yeah, absolutely. All right, one more. But I think he can adjust and appropriately show condemnation. So, instance, the cleansing of the temple. He was really upset about yeah. that. So, I mean, he addressed that appropriately. And I think, I think that goes back to those who are filled with pride versus those who are humble. You know, those who are, the, the ones who are filled with pride are the ones that are selling animals and, and using the temple incorrectly in their pride, going, hey, we can do this, you know, rather than, than the opposite. So, all right. Max, will you pray for us?